there's a certain quality, some people call it an emotion, that psychologists say works almost like magic. People with this quality, they say, have stronger immune systems, lower blood pressure, they're less bothered by aches and pains, and overall, these people with this quality live happier lives, they're livelier, they're more alert, they're more awake, they're helpful, generous, and forgiving. So what is this magical quality? It's not love, kindness, or honesty. This profoundly life-changing quality is gratitude. Gratitude. It's no surprise then when we're studying this book, Colossians, that talks about maturity, this topic of gratitude comes up. Actually, it appears in four places, key places throughout Colossians, and one of them is right here in our text. In verse 12, when Paul says, giving thanks to the Father. You know, gratitude is a mark of a mature person. A person who is spiritually mature is a person who is full of gratitude. But here's a question. If gratitude is so important, if it's so life-changing, if it's the mark of a mature person with all its benefits, then why are people not more grateful? If, if gratitude can do all the marvelous things that psychologists say it can do, then why doesn't everyone just choose gratitude? Why doesn't everyone just say, okay, I'm going to be the most grateful person so I can be healthy and happy and lively and social and all that? It is because gratitude, it comes at a very high price. A price many people are unwilling to pay. See, if you want gratitude, you have to be willing to give up something that we all tend to cherish and cradle and rock right inside our hearts. And it is this. It's self-sufficiency. The gratitude and self-sufficiency don't get along with each other. See, self-sufficiency is this attitude that says, I got this on my own. It hates to be in someone else's debt, and when something good happens, something that you clearly didn't deserve or didn't earn, it tends to think, I somehow deserve this somehow. Somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. A while ago, my wife and I were on an anniversary trip and we went to this Thai restaurant. I think I've shared this with you a while back. And after the meal, the waiter came up to us. We were ready to pay and said, actually, your meal is paid for. There's a couple sitting over there. They just left. And they told me they wanted to pay for your meal. Like, I could not believe it. It's like, this has never happened to me before. Someone just randomly paid for, for our meal. And you know what this really wicked thought came into my mind right after that. I, I, I thought this, wow, we must have really impressed them. I wonder what we did to deserve that. Like, what an ungrateful thought, but how it illustrates this first impulse of our heart when something happens is, oh, well, I, I deserve it. Instead of saying, I didn't deserve it. I desperately need it, and I could never earn it. Like, that's true gratitude. Like, true, genuine gratitude. I don't mean just the sort of atti the attitude that's, that notices beautiful things. Oh, I'm thankful for the fleas, trees. I'm thankful the, for the flowers. I'm thankful for all these. No, true gratitude believes that what we've received we didn't deserve, we desperately need, and we could never earn. 
See, gratitude doesn't do anything for your ego. And so giving up that sense of ego, that sense of self-sufficiency, giving that up is too high of a price for many people to receive gratitude. But what, it, what is going on in our text here today is Paul is talking about something that we don't deserve, desperately need, and could never earn. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's something we don't deserve. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. That's a rescue that we desperately need. And in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's something we could never earn. You see, what Paul is saying here is that what God has done for people is exactly what we need to bring about true gratitude in our lives. And that's why we can give thanks to the Father. Not a thanks, not a gratitude that says, well, I actually deserved it anyway. Or I didn't really need it. Or I would have made it up somehow eventually. No, we could never earn it. We desperately needed it. And we didn't deserve it. That's true gratitude. And so we'll look at these, these actions that God accomplished for us in these three parts. God qualified us. God redeemed us. God rescued us and God redeemed us. God qualified us, rescued us, and redeemed us. You see his qualifying us in verse 12, his rescue of us in verse 13, and his redemption of us in verse 14. But before we examine those one by one, those are the three main divisions of this sermon, let me just point out how much we need to be very attentive to what's going on here. Because you may be at a place in your life right now where when I mention gratitude, you tend to think, grateful for what? I have so little to be grateful for. Oh, sure, there are little things here and there. When you start comparing your life to other people's live, lives and what's going on in their lives, suddenly you feel very ungrateful. And this is especially the case if you're on social media. <laughs> Just scroll through your social media accounts and start comparing the rich, frothy cream of everyone else's life to the sour, boring existence of your life and see what that does for your gratitude. Everyone else is getting a raise, going on vacation, getting engaged, doing all sorts of fun, exciting things, and you, for you, it's just blah. And you think, what do I have to be grateful for? But it might be a lot more serious than that, that you face, have faced a loss or something is going on in your life that is very, very difficult. And you encounter this idea of gratitude and you think, grateful for what? We need to pay attention to what God has said we can be grateful for. But it, there may be even a more serious reason you need to listen to this. And that is this. You struggle with this idea of giving up your self-sufficiency. It makes you scared to think about the fact that someone could give you something that you desperately need, don't deserve, and could never pay back. We'll talk about that a little later. So, what has God done to deserve our gratitude? First of all, he has 
qualified us. Those who believe in Jesus Christ, and only those who believe in Jesus Christ, Paul writes, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So first of all, we can have gratitude. We can be thankful to God as, as our Father, as those who believe in Jesus Christ, because he has done something that we don't deserve. He's qualified us to share the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, it's helpful to understand here, in this first point, under qualified, that Paul is using language that reminds us of one of the most pivotal events in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, one of the most important, pivotal, crucial events of the Old Testament is God's delivering the people of Israel from their captivity in Egypt. For 400 years, they had been enslaved in Egypt. And it came to a point where the domination was so oppressive, they were being forced to work on Pharaoh's work projects, building projects, and they were crying out to God for deliverance. This whole nation of people under the bondage of slavery and through a series of these miraculous plagues that God unleashed on Egypt, finally Pharaoh lets the people of God go through the leadership of Moses. And Moses leads them out and he leads them to this mount called Sinai where God gives them a law and enters into a relationship with his people and makes them his own unique special people. And then he eventually leads them into the land of promise. So Paul is, by talking about this idea of an inheritance and sharing, he's drawing upon language and terminology that reminds us, if we know the Old Testament, of God redeeming and rescuing his people from their slavery in Egypt to make them his very own. Right? So it's almost like this. There's a new exodus that is coming about through Jesus Christ. The land of slavery isn't the land of Egypt. The land of slavery is the realm of our own sins. What we're rescued from is the dominion of darkness. What we're rescued to or delivered and transferred to is the kingdom of the Son of God. And what we're promised is eternal life. That is the inheritance of the saints in light. That's what Paul is talking about here. And this is something that we don't deserve. It's something that Paul, that Paul is saying God qualifies us for. Now, my wife and I are in the market for a house, and those of you who have purchased a house know that you have to be, in order to get a loan to, to buy a house, you have to be qualified for that loan. And so the loan officer wants to know everything there is to know about you, to see whether you qualify. Have you paid off your debts? How much money do you make? All these, this kind of information. How is your credit score? Now suppose you needed a place to live and you needed money to live there and you went to a loan officer and he looked at your records and he said, qualified? We can't even trust you with a nickel. You're not qualified for this loan. You see, all of us come into this world morally and spiritually bankrupt. Unqualified for anything good. And that's why if we're going to have anything good, especially if we're going to be God's own people and in a right relationship with God, with the promise of eternal life, we can't qualify ourselves. We need God to make us qualified. This is what Paul is talking about here. We can give thanks to the Father who has qualified us, not because we have a good credit record, morally speaking, but because it's something that he has given us by his grace. That is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we don't deserve, but we receive by faith. This is what it means to receive something that we don't deserve. God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
We don't deserve it. It's something that God qualified us for. Now imagine, suppose at Christmas time, there's a child, he's going to be opening his Christmas presents. And he opens the first one, and it's a remote-controlled car. And he looks at it, and he says, well, that's probably for keeping my room so clean this year. He opens the next one, and this is a brand-new bicycle. He says, oh, that's probably for being so kind to dad and mom this past year. And he opens the next one, and it's an entire entertainment system for his room. And he says, oh, that's probably for being so polite at dinner time when we had guests. And by the time he's opened all his presents, he has nothing to thank his parents for because he deserved it all anyway. You know, the, here's the thing that's going to kill gratitude. If we lose our grip on grace, we lose our grip on gratitude. If you lose your grip on the fact that God has given you something that you absolutely don't deserve... That what you have right now, breathing and living and your heart is beating is something you don't even deserve. It's a gift of grace. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the promise of eternal life is something that you don't deserve. If you lose your grip on grace, you'll lose your grip on gratitude. If you go throughout life thinking, oh, it's because I deserved it after all. Be no gratitude there. That's why Paul says, giving thanks to the Father. How? What has he done? He's done something for you that you absolutely don't deserve. You desperately needed, couldn't earn. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. But remember, we also talked about something that we desperately need. There's something we don't deserve in verse 12, but something that we desperately need, and that is a rescue. So God qualified us, verse 12. That's a reason for our thanksgiving to God, and also God rescued us. We see this in verse 13. That's what Paul means by this. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us in the kingdom of his beloved son. God brought us out of something and he brought us into something. That's, that's a rescue. That's something that we desperately needed. What does it mean to be in the domain of darkness? Because here in verse 13, when it says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, it implies that naturally, before this point, before someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, he or she is in the domain of darkness. What does it mean to be in the domain of darkness? Well, throughout the Bible, this idea of darkness carries this connotation of, of ignorance about the most important things in life. If you're in the darkness spiritually, you don't know who God is. You don't know his nature. You don't know his character. And because of that, you don't know who you are because you can only know yourself insofar as you know who God is. And if you're in the darkness, you don't know how who you are can become right with who God is because you don't know who either one is. So to be in the darkness, spiritually speaking, is to have your knowledge cut off from who God is, cut off from who you are, and the way to God, how to have a right, right relationship with God. The Bible teaches us that all people naturally come into the world as children of darkness, ignorant about these things, until God shines the light of who he is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's why we need Jesus, because only Jesus can show us who God is as perfectly righteous and perfectly merciful, and he shows how those two can be at one because he died on the cross for our sins, thus displaying God's righteousness and his mercy through his work on the cross. That's how Jesus shows us who God is, and that's how Jesus shows us the way to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus, but everyone comes into this world in a state of of darkness. We don't know the most important things in life. A couple of years ago, I was 
uh, driving in a, in a city, a busy part of the city, and I saw this woman right on the edge of the sidewalk trying to move into uh, all the traffic. And I put on my brakes, and I noticed that she had a, uh, a, a seeing dog with her. This was a, a blind lady. But she was trying to get into the road, and the dog was tugging back at her. And so I pulled off, and I, I got out of the, of the car, and I asked her, I said, do you need some help? And she says, I'm looking for the bus station, the bus stop. I thought it was on this side of the street. Here's what the, the, the terrifying thing about the situation was. She was actually trying to, she was actually putting herself into a very dangerous spot because she didn't know what she needed to know. She didn't know where the bus stop was. And she was in great danger. Like, that's, that's what it's like to be spiritually in darkness. To be cut off from the most important truths in life. And that's what Paul is saying is, is something that we desperately need, right? God the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness. From the realm in which we have no idea who God is, what he's done to save us, who we are, how we could approach God through Jesus Christ. He's rescued us from that. And he's delivered us into the place that we need to be. And that is, he's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's what it means to be rescued. That's the need that we desperately have. That's the thing that can be the spring of our gratitude. Not just something that, that fades and comes from day to day. But it's something that it's eternal. We can thank God for what he's done permanently for us in Jesus Christ. He's delivered us, rescued us from this realm of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, his beloved son. The World Economic Forum tells us that there are 47 million immigrants in the United States. It's just totally tops the charts. It's by far more immigrants that are in any other country. Why do they come? They come because they have great hope in this country. Something better here than was in the country that they came from. They transferred from the kingdom they were in to this one. Let me ask you this. What is so good about, as Paul writes, the kingdom of his beloved son? Here's what's good about it. It is ruled by Jesus. That's what makes the kingdom so good. At this point in history, the kingdom of God is not restricted to some geographical location. The kingdom of God is wherever people submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's a good place to be because this king loves you so much he was willing to die for you. That's a good kingdom. That's a kingdom you want to be a part of. And you can only be a part of that kingdom if God rescues you from the domain of darkness and transfers you into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what it means to be rescued by God. And that's something that we desperately need. And that's something that gives rise to our gratitude. The question is, though, how did this happen? We understand that our gratitude can flow from something God has done for us that we haven't done for ourselves. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's rescued us. That is, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. But, but what goes on in our hearts is the third action that Paul describes here, and that's in verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
God deserves our thanks not only because he qualified us, not only because he rescued us, but also because he redeems us. He redeems us. This redemption is the forgiveness of sins. This language of redemption and forgiveness means this. Our sins, that is those actions and attitudes and thoughts that we do in contradiction to the will of God, our sins incur a debt. A price must be paid. You might think, well, why can't God just sweep that under the rug? Isn't that what forgiveness is? Just, oh, we'll just forget about that. See, God can't be a righteous and a good God and just sweep offenses under the rug. It doesn't work that way. Otherwise, he wouldn't be good. He wouldn't be righteous. We long for a world of justice and righteousness. We long for a place in which every wrong is punished and, and everything is, is completely fair and just. But then when we took, take a look inside our own hearts, we realize that injustice is woven right into the fabric of our own hearts. God can't be a just God and just dismiss sin. It has to be paid for. The question is, who's going to pay for it? That's why Jesus Christ came to the earth. To die on the cross as the payment for our sin. That is the cost of our redemption for our, the forgiveness of sins. And this is something that we could never earn. Not the labor of my hands could fulfill the law's demands. Nothing that you and I can do in and of ourselves could possibly pay back the debt that we owe. It's impossible. That's why only what Jesus Christ did, fully God and fully man, could pay for our sins. It's the redemption through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, that allows us to be forgiven. And that's what God offers us through Jesus Christ. It's something we could never earn on our own. It's not something that we could say, oh, thanks, I'll make it up to you someday. We never can. And that's not gratitude. It's something we could never earn and by remembering these things, that God has done something for me I don't deserve, I desperately need, and I could never earn, from that can be the spring and well of your gratitude. I asked you earlier, maybe you're struggling with this, grateful for what? It might be true that you have less to be grateful for if you're measuring gratitude by things that will fade and fail and break. But if you measure your gratitude by this, you'll never run out of things to be thankful for. You know, gratitude seen in this way is like a tree. The many things that we're thankful for that are temporal, your job right now, the health of your children, your financial status, how many friends you have, all these kinds of things. They're, they're just like the leaves on the tree. They come and they go. They flourish and they fade. But the only reason why they're there and the only reason why they can be things you're thankful for is if your real gratitude is rooted in something that will never change. And that is what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. That is for God having qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
and having delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son and giving you redemption and forgiveness through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Those things are rooted and eternal. They'll never change. Yes, the Bible tells us to be thankful for all things, to look at the, the changing of the seasons and to look at the wealth that we can enjoy and the many things in life that we have to be thankful for and say, God, thank you, but we can only be truly grateful if our gratitude is rooted deeply into what God has done for us in Christ. But I want to address something else that may be going on in your heart. I mentioned it earlier. When someone gets a gift, let's say from a stranger or from, from someone that you, you don't really know what their motive is, you often think, okay, I'll pay it back. Or why are they doing this? I think we have this deep-seated fear of getting something that we don't deserve desperately need and could never earn because we realize that that puts us in that person's debt. We realize that when someone does something for us that we could never pay back, we're suddenly indebted to that person and we don't like that feeling. Have you ever heard two men argue about who's going to pay for lunch? I'll get it. I'll get it. No, I'll get it. Okay, well, you get it next time and then suddenly everybody's okay with that. Right? We, have this, we have this resistance against feeling indebted to someone. You realize that if you look at what God has done for you, you'll always be indebted to him. How can that feeling of indebtedness produce joy and not resentment? Only if you know how much he loves you. Only if you know how much he loves you. My friend, if you are here this morning... And when you think about the claims of the Christian faith, that God has done for you what you could not do for yourself, and instant, instinctively there's something right inside your heart that kind of shrinks away from that. Let me tell you this. The one who does this for you does this not merely, not to control you, but because he loves you. This is the love of Christ. This is the love of God that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's love is a giving love. It is a liberating love. It is a love that allows you to do what you were intended to do from the very beginning. This does not produce resentment. This produces only love. It's a kind of indebtedness that could allow us to work then with joy and energy and gratitude instead of guilt and despair. And that, my friends, is the gospel. That's what energizes both those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ and it's the thing that draws those who haven't believed in Jesus Christ, which may be you this morning. Here's what God offers for you in Jesus Christ. He can qualify you to share the inheritance of the saints in light. He can deliver you out of darkness and he can transfer you into the kingdom of his beloved son and he can forgive your sins if you call out to him in faith.